is backroom politics. Believe it or not, we are back. We are live from our new home here. Can't, I can't believe I'm going to say this. We are live from the National Press in the heart of Washington, D.C., one block from the White House. We are really increasing. Folks, this is the best political talk show you've never heard of yet again. This is Backroom Politics. We are back. Uh, a slightly different format, location. Uh, but obviously, last time we talked, we were talking about a president-elect Trump. Now, since we last talked in November, some things happened. We've inaugurated said President Trump. President Trump has now been in office for just a little bit over 30 days. And you can't make this up. Joining me, as they do here at the National Press Club now for our first broadcast from our new home. We're big now. We're bigly now. Joining us on the Democratic side, he is former Joe Biden political operative, longtime member of the bar in the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. He is Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Jeff. Glad to be here. And to the Republican side, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents, longtime Senator for Washington Insider, and a very distinguished fellow. He is the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. How do you think, first of all? Wow, I love it. I love it. I I don't miss the smoke. There's a little get used to. I get it, Dan. We're, we're allowed to vape here, right, though? No, there's no vaping in the press club. There will be no vaping in the press club. I'm just like that. What do millennial reporters do? They go outside and freeze their rear ends off outside. The rest of the smoking public here. National Press Club. Hey, first of all, I want to say a special thanks to uh, all the staff and the members of the National Press Club for letting us broadcast here. Uh, lots of stuff happening. I know you've seen some posts. There's a lot of big news that are going to be coming down the pike here in the next 30 days. We'll let you know. But now we're back on the air here at Blog Talk Radio. Let me get started with this. I'm going to open it up. There's so much ground to cover. I mean, today, with what's going on. We could do an entire show on just the breaking news that happened today, but we've got 30 days of this. I'm going to start with you. Alan, where do you want to start on this? How do we look at the Trump presidency up till now? Well, uh, fair enough. Um, We all look at it differently, needless to say. Some of us uh, uh, were, chose to be hopeful uh, after the election. We were, we were surprised. I was surprised. Uh, Not not blown away, but surprised. I I guessed at the end of the day that that uh, Secretary Clinton would pull out a close victory. Um, and I have watched with fascination. I have to say, some growing alarm ever since. I I disappointed. Are I devastated? I am not convinced that the Trump. But oh my God, I wish we could start again. I would like to have had a more focused, tight run interim period before the inauguration. The inaugural speech to me was pretty missed. It was divisive. Um, it it the, the tone just felt wrong as he it basically. Um, uh, dumped on the three sitting presidents who were sitting there, their records, and the incompetence and, and self-serving view. I just sat there sort of horrified at this opportunity missed to not 
cave to everything he'd ever said. Find a called you need out an ranch. You need to, to give some sense. We're in this together. To work together. From the last three weeks, one disaster after another that stepped all over some positive messages that are hard to find because they are totally consumed with personnel challenges, executors being nowhere other than. Uh, Let me get your take on the first 30 years. Uh, I mean, just so much there. So much of the nonsense that they grabbed down the rabbit hole. I mean, just communication perspective. First, has a possible a direct whatever the president is just incredible I mean, go, go back
of an infrastructure, a staff, an enterprise, people that they have relied on over the years. So, so they are able to, they understand how government works. They understand how to delegate in the government system, which is, like it or not, not the same uh, kind of delegation you typically have in the private sector. Uh, they're two animals. It's not that one is superior. There's a lot of ignorance that people say it's about time we had a businessman. We need a we need a dollars and cents guy in the president in, in, in the White House. Well, yeah, you do, but it's a different kind of measure, different kinds of dollars and cents. So they 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 didn't have an enterprise, a structure, an organization set up to name people, to name not just cabinet members, but sub-cabinet members. There's a couple of thousand people who have to be named, and they've named a handful of them. They got very behind on the whole transition effort because they turned it over to Chris Christie early on, who himself was vying for a big-time job, and not much work got done. But but also the president himself acknowledged later he didn't want to get too far out on the transition planning because he's a little bit superstitious and didn't want to jinx himself. When you add this combination of not having people around him, experience and understanding and superstition, and you get elected and suddenly look around and say, oh, my God, now what do you do? Hey, yeah, I mean, the, the, Dan, the most telling line, again, it came from Newt Gingrich, but uh, so take take the source for what it's worth. And it, supposedly it was said that uh, President Trump asked how many, of the, how many of these staff in the West Wing are, are going to be here when I take office? And, of course, the answer is almost no one. Nobody. The entire West Wing staff and a supermajority of people in the OEOB right next to the White House are all political appointees. Some of the National Security staff, the National Security Council staff, they hold over and the people who are, are detailed. Well, the military, the, the military members that are assigned. But, but yeah, most jobs, because everything is political, literally down to the people who make sure the, some of the administration gets handled, the people who do those okay, those are actually political jobs. Making sure there is paper for the printers and the copiers, those are political employees who make those final judgments on resources. So if you don't have, and this part of the flip side of the Trump campaign was, and he didn't, even if he hired all of his insights, which that's not even close that you need to stand the White House, let alone the White House plus all the executive agencies. All right, so let me ask, let me ask this question then. When, when we look overall transition-wise, um, let me go down you know, the main list of those that have been confirmed. Uh, let's start with Dylan, uh, Secretary of State. Alan? I, I, I think he was a good move. He, he, he got off a tough start because it was very clear that the, that the Democrats, staring at all of this disarray, still in a state of denial and disbelief as, as to the outcome, were loaded for bear to take, take on any and every, and every name. And, and Tillerson um, was somebody from the giant ExxonMobil. No one had really heard 
never thought of him as a uh, as a potential cabinet member. So it, it, almost immediately, he ran up against anti-big business, anti-oil, um, environmentally concerned uh, of interest that uh, you know are, are characteristic, if you will, of of, uh, of of the Democrats. The irony there is that Tillerson came to <laughs> came to the president's attention from Robert Gates, much distinguished, well liked, highly respected by all parties, former Secretary of Defense, head of the CIA, and then got a abboy, uh, you bet, from uh, the, the 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 even more respected James Baker um, of uh, Reagan White House and, uh, and George H W Bush uh, State Department fame. And they said, this is a great guy. He's big time. He knows the world. He has a great attitude. Um, he, he deals with heads of state and has for 40 years, particularly the last 15 or 20. So I think he was a, he was a great choice. The problem for, for some of these choices is, and we have, we have two generals, General James Mattis. At, we're going to talk about them in a second. Defense, yeah. Yeah. And Secretary John Kelly at Homeland Security. Those are guys that that actually got some support right. from, 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 from both sides. Yeah. But let's do Dan Lipner. You, you, you leave off Condoleezza Rice, and I, from the left, I did have some skepticism about Tillerson, and then as I read more about him and got here, even though the Baker and Rice uh, endorsements, there's a little, there are financial feelings that could paint that. But regardless of that, no, no, from Dan. No, 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 yeah, 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 no kidding. No, no, no kidding. It's it's subtle, Dan. No, no subtle. It's only been 12 minutes. It's been another season. It's 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 Right. There's not a single person that has left the State Department that has not consulted for ExxonMobil. They have their own foreign office for crying out loud. I'm saying it's part of the issue. That said, that said I, I, that, that's actually not where I'm going. With. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if, if you're I will tell you right now, I think that the way Tilton 
answered those questions are exactly the way he should have answered those questions, particularly with the fact that his views were not necessarily in sync with that of his boss, i.e. Donald Trump. There are very distinct differences in the vision that Tillerson has as far as foreign relations versus what Trump has, and I think he played it delicately. I think he had a tough he was in a tough position by just the fact that he was nominated by Donald Trump. I think he answered, I think he answered the questions exactly the way he should have. Yeah, Alan, am I wrong? Let's, well, no, no. I, 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 I have enormous amount of sympathy for people who get pulled into to high energy, high visibility, uh, contentious uh, hearings. Uh, I've participated in some, and and it can, it can be very dicey. Um, the, the preparation for these things is high pressure. Um, I thought Tillerson did okay. He didn't do as he didn't do as well as he might have. But remember the big the big one was with Rubio. The thing that sent Rubio off was he said almost out of the blue, would would you call Vladimir Putin a war criminal? And Rubio has spent a lot of time thinking about Russia, Russian behavior, knows something about the conventions and constitutes a war crime and does not. And they, they, the, the whole focus, the, the immediate focus was on Syria, but there's a longer history. Um, it, Rubio wasn't out alone to ask the question. I thought that Tillerson, who I think wasn't totally prepared for that particular question, also was thinking, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, war crime, a war criminal, absolutely. What he said was, those are not the words I would use. It was right. a cautious, careful. Uh, I think thing. he played it Rubio well. Kept um, Rubio at the end of the day um, supported television. Let me answer your question on that real quickly. Was was that a shot across the bow to Donald Trump saying, "Hey, you know, little Marco is really much in play. You might want to reconsider." I think it was. <laughs> I, I think that that that. Someone about a power play? Well, partly it's how Washington works. It's how the Senate works. It's how senators behave. And in Rubio's case, he had been a target of pretty ugly comments um, by uh, by the, the now president, now President Trump. And so it was a way to to. To, to gig Trump. I don't think he wanted to cripple Tillerson unless Tillerson fell apart and 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 dug his own deep hole. I thought I thought he might have done a little better, but he was horrible. And and Rubio eventually backed away and as I as I said, he he for him in the end. Nikki Smart call. Um Initially, my thoughts were Nikki Haley was a smart call, um, and change your mind. It's hard. I mean, she's the the face of diversity and and Carson uh, as far as a high profile position. Uh, But I don't know. It just seems like an impossible. The foreign policy is so iffy in this administration that Nikki Haley came from. To UN ambassador, uh, she's, in a, she's in an awkward situation. Also, having previously had it out with 
the then candidate Trump very publicly. Right. Um, it's that one needs to play out a bit more for me to make a judgment. I know I've heard some of the information about Nikki Haley's prep that caused concern. I'm I'm glad she's there, uh, considering other bad choices that could have been there. But the jury's still out. For me. Was, was is Nikki Haley set up for failure? No, I don't think so. I I, I think that I I think that the president wants this group to succeed. He constantly talks about this great cabinet best in history, which is not, frankly, borne out by kind of objective facts. It's not the disaster that, that, uh, uh, that the Trump haters uh, would, would make you believe. It's, but there's but some names here that generated a, a host of problems that would have been available. Nikki Haley was a bit of a was a bit of a dice roll, it seems to me, because she has such limited experience in the foreign policy space. Having said that, she got elected governor of South Carolina, and she's an Indian American female um, in uh, in the old South. Give her some credit for what she's been able to do. She was critical of of uh, of, the, of candidate Trump. Came around to support him, got this job. Is obviously a serious student now of uh, international relations, and sec and 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 U.S. representatives to the United Nations are not free agents. They operate in a fairly tight within a fairly tight fence. They're surrounded by career uh, State Department people, and they just simply cannot afford to to go big time off the reservation. That doesn't mean they're potted plants. It doesn't mean their opinions don't matter. It doesn't mean their behavior and attitude no. and so on matter. Well, no, no, that's not fair. Come on. No, no, she was. was and she was effective. She was also uh, she was also a U.S. ambassador. Yeah. In in, uh, in Europe. Um, and it was, you know, she was a famous child. And then she... But let me ask Blessing of the White House, Alan. 
Start with you. So I, I was intrigued with it because I thought that a this helps her, but it, is this? A, but is this? It, 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 I have to assume that that and I, and I, I think Tillerson had not been confirmed when she came out. Okay, I couldn't I couldn't recall that. So yeah. I, but I'm guessing that you know she's not in a self destructive mode here. No. So. I'm guessing that the comments she made were blessed by the White House. That's my strong hunch. I can't prove that, but it would be really bizarre if it, if wasn't. it weren't true. And and so I think that she was not off the reservation. Dan Lipner? I think we're seeing a distinct difference between the real political professionals that are affiliated with the administration, of which Nikki Haley is. Uh, and the amateurs? And the amateurs. agree with the statement she made. Um, in addition to that, I do think it helped her out within the party. What, whatever you say about Donald Trump, there is almost no suggestion that he is, his backing is infiltrating the true Republican infrastructure. So there will be a life after Trump, whether or not it's four, eight years or less. Um, there, there will be a life after Trump. And Smart politicians are already playing that game. Well, we're, we're, coming up, we're coming up on the half-hour break. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue the discussion the first, hundred, or the first 30 days of Donald <laughs> Trump. We, I, mean, we, I mean, I can't even imagine what 100 days is going to look like. We're not even 30. Yeah, we're not I, even 30 days. We're not even at 30. This is amazing. This is great radio. Hey, by the way, thank you, America, for giving us this gift. This is what Backroom Politics was made for. This is Backroom Politics. I can't believe I'm saying this. Live from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. We will be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us.
This is Backroom Politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. Press Club here in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you never heard of. Backroom politics live uh, from the National Press Club. I got to stop doing that. I'm so used to going to our old spot. I got to stop that. Anyways, joining me on this inaugural broadcast, uh, Alan Moore, Dan Littner. We're talking about the first 30 ish days of the Trump presidency. Dan, I want to talk a little bit about some of the other confirmation or some of the other nominees for cabinet posts. Let's talk about the generals, as Alan pointed out. Kelly and Mattis. I think everybody's in agreement. These are smart moves. Why are they smart moves? Uh, well, Mattis is seemingly the most beloved person ever to work at the Pentagon with either a uniform or in a suit. Like You can't find a person to say anything bad about him. Even the one vote against him, as I think oh, there's only one vote against him, I think, yeah. and that one vote was not had nothing to do with him it had something to do with the thank you it had something to do with him being a being within the former statute of the window of time where you were unable to be go from being a uniform member of the armed services to being a civilian head of the armed services and uh the the uh, senator from New York, whose name is uh, Gillibrand, who was the only vote against him, said, you know, I was uncomfortable with this law being changed for him because we believe in civilian control of the military in this country. And that's not an unreasonable statement. And but the 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 law change for him was strictly for him. Right. It was carved out only for him. So the law was. It was an exemption, not a change in the law. Correct. Alan Moore. Yeah. Former military people have to wait seven years before they Correct. can before they could uh, be, be go to become the Secretary of Defense, and he'd been out for about four years. So they had to they had to waive that provision. Um, that was a separate vote. Uh, there were a handful of Democrats who opposed it. I think they were so relieved that that a guy as well respected as Mattis uh, was 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 being considered that they were by and large on a bipartisan basis. When push came to shove, most people were happy to vote that way. Gillibrand is against every single cabinet member. Right. So she's she's trying to stake out some territory of her own. I'm sure she'll have a, a, a 
reason for each and every one. Um, that was uh, her reason. She she voted against granting him the uh, waiver, and then she was the sole vote. The other people who, who voted against the waiver thought, okay, he got the waiver. I'm going to vote for him. She was the one who chose that. But again, I think she's the only person who's voted against every single one. Now, the new head of the the, the, the Veterans Administration uh, was was done, I believe, on a voice vote. Yes. And, and so that one, it, I'm guessing that if it had been a roll call vote, it, it's significant that 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 it was uh, that there was no roll call vote. Um, I'm guessing that, that Jill Rand would have voted against him too, simply because she seems to want to stake out that extreme territory. Gosh, could there be politics? Well, David Shulkin. Well, David Shulkin was a carryover. I mean, David Shulkin was an Obama appointee as the uh, assistant secretary, or I'm sorry, as an undersecretary. Yeah, he, he was a um, senior doc. Yeah, he was uh, a senior doctor. He was uh, the assistant secretary for, uh, I believe, um, medical or, or veterans appeals, one of those two. But the but the bottom line is, Shulkin also ran. Beth Israel Hospital in New York. He's got commercial hospital ties and experience. Uh, is that help him as far as credibility with both sides of the aisle? It helps him with both sides of the aisle. And arguably, if somebody was planning ahead within the Trump administration, which I think is an iffy prospect, but I suspect their VA is not going to be without more problems coming that make news. And arguably setting yourself up saying we kept the Obama guy to try and fix this and you get to blame that guy on the way out. Well, and that, guy, and that guy, I can't remember how long that guy was in there. I don't think he'd been there more than a few years. No, he's, he's he, not he, was, he was within, day, he was within 24 saying, months. He, he had... Uh, he had a long distinguished career in in uh, in the medical field, right. uh, hospital management. He, was, he entered the undersecretary position July 2015. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so there's nothing wrong with with continuity if it's not some if it's not perceived as some high visibility politician, some political hack. In this particular case, they looked around a lot for for. For the right VA person, and and this person emerged, and probably somebody said, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have somebody there. That's it's it, it's been a big issue for 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 Trump during the uh, for the president uh, during his campaign. Uh, he seems competent, and respected. Let's let's and, and one it, we don't have to fight over. Dan Lipner. and it does hold over another pesky little tradition that has been out there for people for presidents who win with less than fifty percent of the popular vote. They have all, for their first term, had a person from the opposite party in their cabinet. Right. So w did it. Clinton did it. And now Trump has done it. So, I, well, that's an interesting question. I don't know anything about this guy's politics. Uh, pretty. The other thing we have on him, and people I talk to that do know him, pretty political agnostic. He's very, uh, very you know, moderate, fence line politician. More about getting the healthcare system and VA fixed and, 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 than and the politics I'm, around I'm, it. I'm pushing back a little on this notion that we all that, that, that in recent years we've had a, a cabinet member from the other party because he was the, most of the people that Dan the, the ones Dan's talking about were people who 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 
served in elective office right. uh, for the other party, whether it was Bill Cohen, who was Clinton's Secretary of Defense, our, uh, our friend Nagel, uh, who yep. was Secretary of Defense under under Obama. Um, there were couple uh, Ray, Ray, Ray LaHood from Secretary of Transportation has been on this show from our old spot. Member of Congress, uh, Republicans. I mean, there there have been a few Normanetta uh, examples. Yes, um, well, uh, Manetta was the awkward, clear holdover for no other reason than we need to have a Democrat here. Well, that was true. But anyway, <laughs> but let's talk about some of the controversial things. I want to talk for a second. Confirmed last night, late, Steve Mnuchin uh, for Secretary of Treasury. Is this fox guarding the hen house, Dan? Well, let's see. I mean, the, the, the president said he's going to drain the swamp and get all these bankers out of D.C. controlling policy. So who better to do that than the guy from Goldman Sachs? Uh, <laughs> Alan, you agree? <laughs> well, he, you know, he, it, one wonders, so what, what exactly did we mean by swamp and what exactly did we mean by drain? Um, and then if you worked at Goldman Sachs, ever, um, are you forever a Goldman Sachs guy? Because Mnuchin had been at Goldman, um, and then he left and did some other things that were much more controversial uh, in, in, than, than his time at Goldman, although... For Well, let's talk about that, because after 2008, the collapse in 2009, the federal government was begging knowledgeable people to come in banks that were on the verge of going belly up because they had all of these mortgage loans that were non-performing. And and they basically were saying, come take it over, clear this out. We will make it, we, we will give you a sweet deal, but you have to put some money in and you have to do all the work. And Mnuchin and a, and a, and a group of folks decided that they would do that as they were being begged to do by the feds of the Obama administration to take over something called One West out in California that had, a, again, a huge portfolio of non-performing loans. Right. And they had to be foreclosed. Everybody understood that they had to be foreclosed. And this was not unique to Mnuchin and his folks at One West. There were other institutions, some of which merged with bigger ones. Like right countrywide with, with, with Merrill Lynch and so on, that, that, had, that, that all had to, uh, all this ugly, nasty, unpleasant work. Had to the too big to think the crash. Well, that, that they did, because the, 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 there, there was a legal requirements and legal duty to clear right. this stuff out, and Mnuchin did it. He and his team, they did it extremely does, well. Does Mnuchin put... The Trump administration in an awkward position, you know, dealing with the the issues that the Secretary of Treasury might have to deal with. I don't. I don't think so. now that he's now that he's Secretary. I mean, this is the bizarre thing. People fight tooth and nail and yell and scream and complain and talk about catastrophe and conflicts and and so on, and then. Oh, okay. Now he's the secretary. Now let's hey, go to work. Let's get the secretary in here, and 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 there's some there's some senior folks inside the White House who will be playing a role in economic policy. Right. The secretary of the Treasury's got a great big job. He doesn't get to sit around and pontificate about 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 uh, tax reform. About investment um, bankers doing and, what they and do. Trade and international finance. You, you look know, like puzzled, Dan. Has to think about all that stuff. Right. He's got a secretary. 
youth stage in the process of talking about him. And one shocking little bit of information, apparently he's been an executive producer, meaning he just fronted money for lots of movies. Oh, yeah. No, he's got a Hollywood connection. Including the Lego Batman movie and the soon-coming-out Lego Ninja movie. Uh, <laughs> he's making money. They're good movies. So they're you, you they're have, cleaning up. You have both the Secretary of Treasury and the President of the United States, both with executive producer credits while in office. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Except only one, only one has done light porn. Good point. Anyway, <laughs> Cinemax, come on. He, he admits to the Cinemax movie. Nothing from Alan. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't remember the movie. I don't, you know. Anyway, I hope, I, I hope you haven't seen the movie. I have not seen the movie. Uh, okay. I'm out of my element here. You guys can have your conversation back and forth. No, no, no. no, no to, we're gonna... It's a big porn fan. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't hold it against you. I'm not condemning don't you. Judge. I'm, I'm don't judge. Don't judge. Hey. Really let's, let's talk about some of the controversial picks. Betsy DeVos. Uh, everybody cringes thinking about that, Betsy DeVos. It, what, other than the fact that it's a political payback, what benefit does Donald Trump get by picking a Betsy DeVos for Department of Ed, unless this is his first step to start dismantling what we now know? Oh, it's not. It's not dismantling. It, it, what it is. I, I, well, let me say this. I don't know what it is. I, 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 I watched that whole thing unfold. I watched her just get trashed and demolished. I watched her do a poor job of explaining and defending herself. I also watched a witch hunt going on and and some over-the-top criticism of her, which, you know, the Republicans do this, the Democrats do, the Democrats do it too, where they, they go overboard in their criticism and Response because the criticism gets so over the top. She, given her lack of experience in the in in, in the certainly in the public education field, um, uh, and the important role that the federal government plays in educational finance and to some extent policy, right. although that's that gets totally overblown. Um, She's been an activist in, in, in educational choice, um, which is not an illegitimate point of view to have. It's just an odd place to, to, to draw a new secretary of education from, especially given her lack of broader, more basic experience. Um, yeah, she's, she's uh, extremely rich, married to a very rich guy, inherited a lot of money, has devoted an enormous amount of time, energy, and some education causes they tend to be charter schools but, and voucher but does that, does that give her but does that give her the street credibility to lead as a senior executive the department in charge of doling out educational policy and grant money no and no it does not give her the street cred and that's what you saw in this 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 yeah, fight that was unified practice it, for it, her their confirmation it, hearing it it it, it really you know, I don't think I don't think the Trump administration helped itself at all. Certainly didn't help her. Now, let's watch uh, 
watch what happens in the field right out of the right off the bat. She tries to go visit a school in Washington D.C. and is met with a group of protesters who won't let her get in the front door. Yeah. Right. We're going to talk about the protests. Creating more yeah. uh, uh, feedback. Now she came back. She went in another door. She has got an enormous amount of 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 learning to do, of work to do. I don't think there's something. Is it is it fair? Is it here. fair? You know, she's a grown-up. Dan Littner. I mean, is it fair? So, well, it depends how you. I mean, where do you judge fair by? I mean, for confirmation hearings, and as I said, I said it before, with political malpractice on almost any front, she was ill-equipped to know any of the policy areas that are in play. She apparently was unknowledgeable that the Department of Education handled student loans. But, but one can say the that, same thing about Rick Perry and his responses about Department of Energy. He was no, no, but, but not during the hearings they were. Perry, Perry got nailed for the not knowing the Department of Energy handled basically the nation's nukes, but that was at a, pre, at a, at a press avail, not immediately after being named, but also not in the hearing room. He handled himself very well, including his little funny exchange with Senator Franken about getting friendly on the couch. Yeah. I mean, it was the, again, the professional. Awkward, but. Awkward, but funny. And, yeah. And in the world of that kind of, the professional politicians and their exchanges and how they're handling it versus DeVos, who, after being named, even if she was not an expert in Department of Education policy, you would have thought that the, the next three weeks would be intensive study with whatever policy you can get your hand on, hands on that will be briefing you on the various different issues, what senators might care about on the panel, how you would not know that a senator from Connecticut is going to ask you a question about guns in schools. Is only, to, only to respond about the Grizzlies. And, and, and not having a better response of it. There were a zillion good answers she could have given. She could have given the, the answer that the NRA says that there should be school res- armed school resource officers in every school. That wouldn't have been my answer, but that would have been a politically acceptable answer. Let's, this is stuff that she could have prepared for and just did, was ill-equipped. So in the, room, yeah. the, the question you never know the answer to here, Betsy DeVos, who, who had, had a miserable a miserable experience in her in her hearing, there's no question about that, um, and, and sort of fed this 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 uh, increasingly angry beast. The timing was bad for her. There's a lot of things going on, um, and uh, it, what we don't know is how together and competent were the briefers. Did they have a team together that was that knew what they were doing and that a and then b you don't know how good the student was, and rumors start. Float, float out sometimes um, uh, on, 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 on this right. stuff. You know, it, 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 it's, was she engaged? Was, was she given the right material to study by people who knew what was going on and understood the dynamics of the, the, the education system? Well, that blame goes to the transition and, team. And, and, the, and, the, and the, well, there's, there's transition team, but then there's also this whole cadre of attorneys and that, briefers that, 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 that are supposed to prepare. And so, but 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 that, that doesn't mean that they that that when she was getting briefed, she's not the secretary after all. It was weeks ago that that the 
team was together, that the material was right. Some of it's transition time, right. some of it's the people, some of it's who she's with, some of it's the advice she's getting, how to spend your time. Courtesy calls on the hill, study, study, study. I don't know. It worked out. It, it was it was a real mess for her, which fed the beast of of the the the, the Betsy DeVos haters. Uh, cost her. Um, I mean, contributed to costing her two Republican uh, senators. Uh, they only needed one more, and, and she's out. She would have gone down. Um, I mean, even Lamar, even Lamar Alexander, and I would think close sense to this because Lamar Alexander is one of the Republicans, and he was chairman of that committee. Right. Um, somebody I I respect. Even his defense of DeVos was not based on substance. It was based entirely on the president deserves to have, have his, his person. person. Right. There was that was a weak defense of the here in the next in the last 10 minutes the, the the big ticket item which ended up being attorney general jeff sessions alan moore was was jeff sessions the right guy who just got ambushed by his own fellow senators or was jeff sessions or ambushed by a, his own history or was he ambushed by his own history so so Jeff Sessions would not have been my choice to be attorney general, but did, did your old boss vote for him when he was in the Senate? Um, they, they, they never got out of committee. Yeah. Let's, let's go back so, and, and do some background on so, this. So the, 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 yeah, the, the history on this is Jeff Sessions was formerly uh, not nominated to be a, as a federal for a federal judgeship under the Reagan administration. Was Back in eighty six, nineteen eighty three, rejected by the then Republican majority Senate. He, he was by the then Republican majority Judiciary Committee. Correct. The, I'm pretty sure the issue never got to the full Senate. No. Um, the the he was a U.S. attorney at the time, and he was charged with a couple of things. I mean, it's, it's we could do a whole show on on what happened to Jeff Sessions in 1983 because I've spent a little time reading some of that history, and and it was remarkably ugly, and in my humble opinion, in many ways unfair, and, and in many instances not true. Well. It was. It was. There it was. was, some, there was political. Charges, well, charges made that that some of some of which was later recanted, so it wasn't true. Right. The, the big charge having to do with interfering with with uh, voting rights of, of blacks turned out to be um, an intervention and a, and a and a, and charges leveled against three people who were trying to help some old folks vote absentee. Right. The charge was that 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 the the, 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 the voter suppression. Well, it was the, 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 the sort of the public charge was voter suppression against Sessions and that and that stuck and was and was the whole focus of the fam- now famous Coretta Scott King letter and part of what 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 uh, then Senator Ted Kennedy talked about. They said he was trying to suppress black votes as they were discovering the, the, the joys of absentee voting. 
the case itself was uh, was was black against black politics, and that and what what he what he had uncovered, and this was the charge that was brought, was that these folks were trying to to get ab, get get some older African American voters via absentee to switch the votes from one African American candidate to a different. African American candidate favored by these people right. who, against whom he brought the charges, and and so there's this image that he was trying to suppress black votes, and in fact this particular case was about illegal shifting of of African American voters let, let or let voters from one candidate to another. Let me ask this question, Dan. When when we look at what happened in '83 with then U.S. Attorney Jeff Sessions up for federal bench versus now the history, the 86 actually. It, it was 86. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So when, when that happened in 86, we, we look at that and then we look at today, we look at the voting history of now Senator Jeff Sessions. And you look at a lot of people, there were, there were blacks that worked in the office of the U S attorney when he was U S attorney there. In uh, Alabama. Well, no, they've also said that, you know, you cannot call him a racist, that he was a good, he was a fair boss. Several of them testified. There there have been accusations on both sides of this, and it's hard to to come back from that claim. Let me ask you a question. It is hard to come back from that claim. It is. It is. He had... He had an enormous amount of African American support in Alabama, right? In the '80s and more recently, he had a lot of national African American opposition. It was it's 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 really kind of a somebody will write a book about this sometime, right? Um, uh, about the 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 internal in the internal politics. So, but here's a bigger question. Here's a bigger question. Dan, from the Democratic side, was it smart for them to go full guns a-blazing, no pun intended, at Jeff Sessions the way they did and the way he was progressing to full set vote? With the Democratic coalition, what it currently is, it would have been politically impossible not to. The, um, of fight. Is Jeff, let me go one step further. Of the two fights to fight to the end were Jeff Sessions and DeVos. Those two could not have gone untouched from Democratic politics. All right, let me go one step further. Is Chuck Schumer, the minority leader in the Senate, is he picking the right fights? Those two, absolutely. And not to mention, DeVos clearly has a glass jaw. I mean, if, if we can go back there for a second, the protests that blocked her from going into the school. This wasn't the, the Women's March after the inauguration. I saw the video. Maybe a dozen people, and that might be generous. And back to a professional politician would have handled that very differently. I think there, that, there, there, that's there, a wake-up call for somebody new to politics. Right. But entering the game in the majors when you've never played minor league ball or even college ball is this is what she opted into. There's a way to have handled right. it. She could have actually looked good in the process. I mean, I think, but wait, wait, yeah, wait hold that's, on. That's interesting because I think that, that she, you know, he says she didn't look good. I thought 
she looked fine. I thought, I thought she did her, very I good. I thought it looked to work to her favor. Not to engage. She got turned away trying to go to a public school, but came back around and figured out a way, way in. To, right. to, to get in. I no, mean, I want to go back. I want to go back to Jeff Sessions. But, 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 but with, with, with Sessions, so you said, do they have to fight him? Of course they had to fight him. They were going to fight him. Here was the thing, and, 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 and much was made of, of uh, a, a rule of the Senate, of the rarely used, not never used, as was sometimes reported, but rarely used, uh, to, to shut Elizabeth Warren down. Um, this is the, the infamous Rule 19. In rule 19 in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, the uh, history of the rule seems to have an interesting and unfortunate uh, history associated with it. Well, there's more history than most people than, 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 than most people want to mess with. But because it's all sort of floating around out there, that, that inside the Senate. It's an abolitionist era rule, as I understand. Well, it was just crazy. Well, <laughs> you said this. well there, 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 there were... There were some incidents where senators literally beat the hell out of each other on the Senate floor because they were calling each other names. And so they decided to create a rule. They said, we, this has to be a safe place to have a conversation. We can be passionate, and nasty, but you cannot, as though we, as, while we sit there and condemn safe spaces in college. Yeah, Sorry. no kidding. Sorry. No, <laughs> no, kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I don't know. Bring up sanctuary cities, too. That, that when... We can call anybody a name that we want to witness. You guys used to have to hear me bitch and moan about what I the the, the unconscionable stuff that I thought Harry Reid did, particularly towards right. towards uh, Mitt Romney uh, four years ago when he said that he'd, so, he'd he'd heard that Romney had never paid taxes. But, let, but he did that from the Senate floor. But, no Alan, let, let's rule. go back. Let's if go back. He had said that one of his colleagues had not paid taxes. Uh, he would have would have run afoul of this and, rule. And, and, but but let's, let's, I want to go back. Just but we do go into the woods. It is worth noting both the House and Senate have rules dictating. Uh, okay, but I, I, I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on Rule 19. No, but but I do want to go. I, no, well, that's true. I want to say something about what about why Elizabeth Warren. Oh. You know, in the middle of the debate, in the middle of the night, and there's probably five or six senators. That was that was a close mistake. It, well, it, 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 it gave it more traction. Well, I, 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 I think it was a mistake too. I believe it was a mistake, but I've got a theory that would that that, that intrigues me because Mitch McConnell's a pretty smart guy and and isn't prone to, you know, to to just especially something like this that you have to reflect upon and think about it. You do, don't do it at the spur of the moment. But let me say something about this thing because I've read a bunch of it. Because when I heard this was invoked, I thought, what's this all about? So being, you know, a stupid Senate nerd, I go back and sort of try to figure you, out. You read the minutes. What was going on? Well, what, what was happening was that, that that right after DeVos, where the, the Democrats decided that the, the, the nation would care if they spent 24 hours talking, um, and nobody paid much attention at all. Let's That's face the it. White House keeps yeah. creating absurd other news. Well, <laughs> but it wouldn't have been. It, it, this is not going to be big news anyway. You know, people talking through the night for an hour. Right. But on the heels of that, they said we'll do the same thing with sessions. We're going to spend 24 hours, and so you can talk up to an hour. Some people wanted to talk an hour. Some people didn't. And 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 but but it started out. With the the opponents started with with uh, Senator Feinstein uh, from California, Patrick Leahy. These were the leaders 
of, of the opposition, the, the the Democrats in the Judiciary Committee that 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 had uh, held the hearings and had worked with with Sessions, and what you saw was some comments about how difficult this was and how this is a man I've worked with and known and have a lot of respect for, but I can't support him because of his history. Almost none of them, I think, went into this 80s, this early history, right. which has been debated and some of it disproved and so on. Along comes Elizabeth Warren. And although this was not happy time or friendly or whatever, her tone was rather different. She got up to, to strenuously object, and she proceeded to trash him in a, in a more personal way, and she escalated it. And she, she read two letters. She read a letter from Ted Kennedy right. that in which – which he said at the end of his, uh, or, or it was, it was not, it was his, it was his closing speech, right? Because it, was, it wasn't a letter; it was his closing uh, speech at the time the committee was considering this in '86. And he said, "He is a disgrace to the Department of Justice. He should withdraw his nomination and resign." That's what caused the leader to go over the top. That. Even though it's Ted Kennedy's words, it's one senator saying this about another. And my senator. recollection was is that Ted Kennedy was actually warned about that afterwards. Wouldn't have been. It wasn't. It wasn't on the floor. It was. It was a statement. I believe it wasn't a floor speech. I think. No, no. It, it was a committee speech, but he was warned about it that you know, hey, your tone. He I think was counseling. Nineteen only. No, no, I don't think they invoked Rule 19, but I think that they canceled. They went to Ted and said, hey, Ted, that was a little over the top. Well, he was, I mean, I knew him. He was like his two fellow senators. He was charming. He was fascinating. I had some fun um, with him on on several occasions. When I was was back in the Senate in in 2001 to 2005, and I admired his work. But there were times where I thought he he was over the top. And it was. I want to go back. I want to go back. Robert Bork. All right. But this, this let me go. Let me go back to Bork. I wanted to make this distinction about Warren. Right. That she took this ugliness to a higher level. She was interrupted during the Coretta Scott King as she was reading that letter to be warned that prior. She'd already busted she, through. She, she, it was like, we're reminding you that this is the rule, and you could be silenced. So, and, and but let's then, get back. Let's get back to Jeff Sessions. I understand what you're saying, I, but I'm saying we're, this is all about Sessions. Right. They, she asked them, "Well, can I continue reading the Coretta Scott King letter?" Yes, which she did. I mentioned that because all the early press reports, and some still. Yeah, they stopped. Say, right. Say that she didn't get to finish the Credit Scott King letter. Which is not true. She not only finished it, she went on to do some other stuff, read a couple of other things, when it, it took time for then McConnell to come and invoke Rule 19. Then all hell broke loose. There were three call votes. There were only four senators present when all this happened, and it was in the night. So then much was made again in the press that these three men got up and read the Coretta Scott King letter 
but because it, it because they had shut it down, they didn't shut it down. She read the whole damn letter, right? With admittedly an exchange in the middle, and there was ugly stuff in the Curtis right. Scott King letter too. That that un, under but, a, a reading of of uh, Rule 19, you could invoke. But so, now that now that Jeff Sessions has been confirmed as the Attorney General and now installed as Attorney General, um. Is is his legacy as attorney general tainted from the get-go? We'll see what he does. <coughs> the, two, the, the two big issues for me, at, just on the front end for Sessions, one is obviously the Voting Rights Act, which the unfortunate irony of the case that he brought involving African Americans right. and then using the Voting Rights Act, which there's no the other one, and this is going to be interesting, since uh, the, the immigration case, ban. Oh no, I'm not even talking the immigration ban. That's 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 going to do its own thing. The other thing, since as I understand the the, the good former senator from Alabama is a bit of a teetotaler, uh, all these states that have legalized drugs and the current standoffish, the the see no evil rules with Department of Justice enforcement and the DEA. All all those. States that have legalized, i.e., Colorado. We've got a caller. Um, how that's going to be handled will be an interesting. We got we got a caller. Caller from the 201 area code. You're on. Oh, they dropped off. Oh darn it! Wait, All the heck. Okay, well, call back in if you wish. All right. Um, let's. I, I want to talk about. Uh, uh, and Alan, I want your take on Jeff Sessions. The, does does Jeff is Jeff Sessions already behind the eight ball? When it comes to him serving as attorney general, can he be effective with the onslaught that came with him? Sure. I mean, he, he, look, he's he's harmed, he's wounded, he's not necessarily crippled, as Dan said. It all depends on what he does here. I mean, the people the the, the, the people who were sort of responsibly because because I, I I didn't have any particular quarrel with the Feinstein and Leahy. Um, remarks uh, against him um, uh, were were based on his record in the Senate. And, and, and now, having said having said that, Lindsey Graham, it's worth noting, said, by the standards you guys are applying, there's not a single Republican senator who could become Attorney General by this standard, because most, not on every vote, but 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 any conservative Republican had. A voting record in the Senate on most of these uh, these votes it was pretty similar, not identical, but pretty similar. They weren't all on the Judiciary Committee and so on. So there's there's a little bit of a we we hate the Republicans' point of view. This guy's Republican voting record I think shows wisely not to dredge up um, the controversial but arguably not proved. Uh, uh, history. It was it was Elizabeth Warren who tried to go that way. So he's wounded, but he got all of his colleagues, which, as we know from the Betsy DeVos, that the Susan Collinses of the world, Lisa Murkowski's of the world, um, Hesses and Flakes and McCain's and others, you know, these are these people don't just march in lockstep. They think about stuff. They ask questions. And they thought, this is really wrong. This is character assassination of the worst order. And and we're not going to put up with it. This this guy, in our judgment, is is 
in the mainstream of Republican conservatism. Now, having said that, the voting rights stuff, immigration stuff, he, he's going to have um, uh, uh, major tests going forward. People like to say, oh, he was the architect of all thinking of the Trump administration. That is such garbage. Now, the immigration no, thing was his. That well, was widely reported. He, he, he had a role in it, but but he didn't draft the executive right. order. It's his it, guy that drafted it. Yeah, it's true. So Miller was Sessions' guy. Miller was Sessions' guy, communications guy, over a year ago. Yeah. Does well, that, but, yeah, come on. Does, look, anybody has ever been... And, a, and before that, he had a remarkable career with Michelle Bachman. All right, well, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just interrupt real quick. Let me just interrupt. You cannot, cannot attribute to... I mean, if, think about this if this is you. You know, you, you once... You once did some work for Biden. So, wow, anything that Dan does, that's Biden. That's well, all Biden. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but everybody loves nonsense. But everybody loves Biden. It's, 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 no, but, well, no, yes, so it's like, well, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, but as, as far as the immigration, the initial rollout, oh, the only, the only right. way... Hold, hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Hold on. Hold, the immigration hold, that, hold that thought. Well, everybody, take a breath real quick. I know we've got a lot to get to. I want to take a quick break. But before I go to break, okay, we've talked about a majority of the nomination. The inside the White House guys, the Sean Spicers, the General Funds, and we'll get to that next. But all in all, no, good Lord. And by the way, by the way, all in all, quick one answer. Great for Trump as far as his cabinet picks. A uh, boy. Um. B minus. Dan Lipner? Oh, I, I, I think he's got a gentleman C minus at the, at the moment. Okay, fair. fair. The problem is we got guys we like. And there are guys that we, and people that we, we can't get behind. Okay, and we're going to take a quick break. Yeah, the process is a D minus. Yeah, the way this is affected. When we come back, we've got breaking news happening in Russia. Russia is apparently now positioned cruise missiles for uh, that go against every treaty that we have standing regarding nonproliferation. We also have a situation with General Michael Flynn, who has since been nominated, put in place. He was hired, put into place, and now has resigned as the National Security Advisor. Goes to a bigger question. Wow, I got to tell you something. It's going to be big. <laughs> we'll be back on this great, great edition. This is Backroom Politics, live from the National Press Club. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. Caught my eye, my heart stood still. Once 
as we transition to the new phase of our best political talk show you never heard of. Um, we are, we've got so much pent-up energy for the past 30 days of Trump presidency. We're going to talk about some of the other things that have happened. Let's talk about some of the in-house White House staff that has happened. Obviously, the big news today, as has been for the past 24 hours, is that of General Michael Flynn, a long-standing advocate for Donald Trump, uh, a retired three-star general from the U.S. Army, forced out under Obama as the head of the National Security Agency under a cloud of the, the questionable... D- the DIA. The, the Defense Intelligence Agency, not NSA, I'm sorry, under the DIA. He um, was forced out of DIA. Uh, apparently, the, NS, the NSC, the National Security Committee, is in a state of turmoil. It's being poorly run. And as a result of him lying to Vice President Pence, is now out of a job. Yeah, well, there's, there's a whole bunch of things. Just on the National Security Council thing, there was a shakeup of the National Security Council, adding Steve Bannon to the National Security Council, and shaking up a couple other things. But most notably, removing the chairman of the Joint, Joint Chiefs of Staff, the only full-time professional and, re- and, re- and, and, re- and removing the director of national intelligence. Actually, guys, you need to do your homework. Why? You're not very well. As far as a permanent member, the, 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 the chairman of the, the status, was no, was the no status of those two was identical to how it has been. Adding Bannon was different. And, and it was poorly reported then, and it's still being, being poorly, poorly reported. reported now. Um, uh, it was poorly handled. But 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 putting Bannon and, and putting Bannon on again, this is the ham-handed way they do stuff. Um, they add Bannon and, and then they say we're fully transparent. David Rod used to attend meetings. Carl Rove used to in, in, in Obama. Carl Rove used to attend meetings, but not every meeting, and he wasn't a designated member. Right, why are we catch. Why are we elevating? Catch. What's the point here? What's the purpose? It was an unforced error. Um, if they want Bannon to sit in, believe me, Bannon can sit in. But it, but they, they they did it at the same time. They made this reference, which, as I understand it, was was the same identical language that they had used in Obama, which basically said, we don't need the Joint Chiefs of the, – the, the NSC does two things. It does international security and it and does, does domestic, domestic security. And some, when it's international security, you don't always need the, the, the head of the CIA and you or don't the, need the chairman of, uh, of the Joint Chiefs because it's a, it's a, it's a purely domestic thing. So they, they, they apparently did that to say, you guys are there when you're needed. 
But let's and go. You don't have to come every time. And but let's go. Let's go to Flynn. Let's go to Flynn personally. Flynn was always, even through the campaign, there have been stories that General Flynn had to be restrained at some point by Governor Chris Christie during some briefings of intelligence issues. Um, he has been called unstable. Why are you going to? We're, we're above that. His boy got so, fired. No, but he's right about us. <laughs> his boy got fired for the transition team because for, of for it. retweeting. For uh, retweeting all right stuff. Crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. But, and his son was acting as his own chief of staff. Or his it, assistant yeah, that's true. So it was like he, he had to get him out of there. But, 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 but looking at Flynn, though, I mean, Flynn has had a relationship with the Russian ambassador, which led to apparently some phone calls that occurred prior to the inauguration. And in fact, the questionable phone calls now are being reported were not only a violation of the Logan Act, but these phone calls occurred on the day that then President Obama announced the sanctions against Russia for the interference in the uh, election. I will say this, but when the Washington Post broke the story, you have rarely seen something so well sourced. They had nine different intelligence folks at different agencies confirming the story. In my memory, I cannot think of it. I can't think of Yeah. I mean, that number stuck out in the opening line. Yeah. Confirmed. Confirmed nine times by nine different individuals in the intelligence community. And, And apparently... They were pretty high ranking too. These were not some GS twelves working at that. Accompanied with that was the matter of fact. Of course, we tapped the Russian phone. Yeah. We know exactly, exactly what was said. <laughs> so here's the question for you: Is yeah, so I'm not sure we got the full picture across here. So 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 he had this conversation with the Russian ambassador right. the day that these sanctions were announced, and then you will. A day or two or three, everybody expected that the Russians, Russians would retaliate, would do tit for tat, retaliate with throwing 35 of our folks out, and they didn't. They right. said, "Well, we're going to wait and see." And that was, and then almost immediately there was a tweet from from uh, the the president elect saying, "The V Putin is a smart guy. Uh, good good thing to hold off." Well, it made you wonder. This was before anybody knew about the Flynn and, and Ambassador phone calls. It was like, "Wow, that's weird." It's almost like there's some back and forth communication here. Uh, who knows? Um, and then we hear about the phone call. And then the question is, what was in the phone calls? And that's where the, 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 the really the bigger problem for, for Flynn came up because no, none, none other than the, than the vice, the vice president-elect uh, at the time uh, was on national television on a Sunday talk show saying, I have talked to General Flynn. He did not talk about the sanctions. That was not a subject. And then that was the line from the administration that it, that, that it wasn't the subject. Meanwhile, the FBI who t- taps all of these phone calls with the ambassador, and I guess these guys were using unsecured lines and so on, say, well, yeah, but we have, a tra- <laughs> we have his voice. We have a transcript. We know they talked about it. And only in the last 24, 48 hours 
have we known that not only did we know uh, quite a while back what was said between the two, but the intelligence agencies decided that they needed to inform the, 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 the Trump White House immediately after the inauguration that this was the content of some phone calls and it made General Flynn a blackmail risk because right. Right. the line coming out of the administration is, nope, Flynn didn't discuss that. We have, we have recordings and transcripts that show that they did. That would seem to make him a potential. But what was, wait a minute, what was, the, trip, what was the trip wire on this? Was the fact, had he been up front with the vice president and with the president and confirmed what they had already had the transcript on, which apparently they knew about back in December, would you – is Flynn still fireable at that point? Still indictable at that point. I mean, he, well, he may. Have, I mean, we have nobody's have violated the Hatch Act. No, no, not the Hatch Act. It's called Logan the Logan Act, rather. The Logan Act. Act. I've never seen anybody prosecuted no, under the Logan. Nobody's. If, listen, if people were prosecuted under the Logan Act, Jimmy Carter would be in jail. Right. And and Ronald Reagan people would have been in jail in in their conversations with Iran about Nixon would have been in jail. There would have been a, I mean, Kissinger for any other number of yeah. people that would have that would have been in jail both before and after taking office. Jesse Jackson would be in jail, a former New Mexico governor. They'd all be in jail. They've all had these these uh, side conversations. That's not saying it's a great thing. It's risky. It can ruin careers. But but the the the, the issue here was did Flynn lie right. to the vice president, which we now know he did, who was going to go on national television, did go on national television, did describe the conversation. It seemed to put the issue to rest. Nobody corrected. Flynn didn't come running back. Oh, by but the way. Dan, let me go to you, Dan, for a second real quick. Regarding this, is, is this a sign of a leadership problem inside the White House? Is Trump literally outside of his element so much that there is chaos inside the White House? I mean, I've heard and read stories about everything, everything from Bannon to Priebus. There is stories that there's stories that previous may be gone that he's in over his head spicer is again this is only what's floating out their own there have been interviews to replace spicer mind you i think he has an impossible job defending every nonsense thing that comes out of 45 i gotta say something you brought sean Sean spicer is a good spokesman sean spicer sean spicer is good at the job that he does I think what's happened here is he's got a combination of two things. He's got a hostile press room because his boss has pretty much called every major outlet in the room fake news. Well, to be clear, he always must be an No, 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 no. There's a difference. There's a special level. No, 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 no. There is a difference. There's always been that, uh, you know, honor amongst thieves in that press room. That is gone now. And Sean Spicer has to do an impossible job. He's got to defend a president whose messages change basically like people change underwear. And on top of the fact, he's got to do it in an environment. 
Yeah, good point. <laughs> and, and they have to do, but Annie has to do it at a time when there is an adversarial relationship with the president and the media. How I mean, that's not fair to Sean Spicer to throw him under the bus for doing the job of being President Trump's press guy. No, no, that's well, the thing. Well, he's got an impossible. How do you well, defend three to five million illegal voting? So. The, the busloads of voters coming across from Massachusetts. The millions of people at the inauguration. The millions of people at the inauguration. That was, by the, as the story goes, he was forced out behind the podium by the president to defend this. And then having to defend the Bowling Green massacre. How, how, how do you do so, it? Alan Moore? So I think we are in agreement on one thing, that Sean Spicer has an impossible job. The question is whether he's doing a good job at it. He's failing at it failing miserably. Now, could anybody succeed at it? I don't know who could. I have a lot of sympathy for the guy being in this impossible situation where he's saying what the president tells him to say, what possibly Steve Bannon, possibly um, (laughs) Steve Miller, (laughs) possibly (laughs) Rice Priebus, possibly the vice president are telling him to say, but mostly it's it's Trump. He's got to say what at the end of the day, the Trump's telling him to say, and if he says, I can't say that, yes, you can. It seems to me that the only guy who could say, yes, you can, yes, you will, would be the president. That's what makes the job impossible. Now, having said that, what do you do? Do you go out and try to wing it a little bit? Imagine the tension this man, this guy is under so much tension that Melissa McCarthy has created a new career for herself on Saturday Night Live being Sean Spicer. And whenever you have a a recurring uh, character who takes a lot of fact and goes a little bit overboard with it, it it reflects back on poor old Spicer. The only good thing for Spicer these days is that, I guess it's good, is the viewership of the daily press briefing has gone up yeah. Massively. Oh yeah. I get news alerts. I never got. I, I, I was going to say. Did you? Did we ever see the following news alert come across the wire? Hey, press brief. White House press briefing starts in five minutes. In. I've never seen that. I mean, that's that's usually something you get on C-SPAN. And and I don't want the Spicer job. And I'm very sympathetic to a guy who's got the impossible job and who's under this enormous pressure to deliver for the boss and not be hated and vilified by the people in the room who you're trying to brief, not be the laughing stuff of the country um, on Saturday Night but, Live. But, he, but that's which, what's happened. Which is what has happened. And, and apparently, apparently the, 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 I mean, reportedly out of the White House is that the, the president's biggest complaint is that Sean Spicer was played by a woman. Played by a woman and ridiculed. And, and I mean, sort of this this combination of making fun of, of, of him like like Alec Baldwin does of the president himself, but at least at, at least Alec Baldwin least is a guy. a guy. Here's my hunch. I'm I'm trying to figure out which woman Saturday Night Live is going to come up with to play the president. Well, there there be different rumors to do an all female cast for the administration. To, oh yeah, just, just, just to go to the just, White House just to troll the president. I mean, it, it's uh, uh, it, you know he. We'll get to some point of whether he's learning things and what. Well, but here's, but here's, here's a big thing about it is because you know we, we've talked about days in we've talked about Steve Flynn we've talked about Sean Spicer 
The one that you haven't mentioned is Steve Bannon. How dangerous is Bannon in the White House? You know, we there, there's there's. Is it a matter we don't know? We don't know. There is reason to believe that he's an important player on some of the biggest gaffes that these guys have made. We don't know for sure. I found it fascinating that last Sunday it wasn't Steve Bannon who was going to make his inaugural appearance on four talk shows. It was 31-year-old Steve Miller who creeps most of us out? Oh, no, no, he, no, he does. Honest. He does creep. He creeps me out. He he he's got this stare, this intensity, this pardon the expression, Obama-like use of the word "I." Yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I I say and I say and I do this and I do that. I That's mean, right. Obama used to take grief for the all of the eyes, and here's. Yeah. Steve Miller thinking that a, a mid-level staff person can go out there and say, um, See, I mean, Steve Miller, I mean, on top of the fact that he's got a creepy stare and the guy just freaks me out completely. But I'll say this, Steve Miller going all in on, for example, the voter fraud situation, when you were talking about states, the states you're accusing of are run by state secretaries of state that are Republicans. Why would you go against your own party? I believe all 50 secretaries of state chimed in on the voter fraud yes. thing and said, this simply ain't so. Um, well, the irony, you know, the, it, what, one of the great problems, I look at this stuff and I think, why do they keep saying this? And, and, and when, you're, when you're looking hard, then you say, well, I suppose given some studies, one could say that that nationwide, there might be a couple of million people on the polls who shouldn't be. Most of them are dead. Oh, yeah. Some of them have moved. So there's a lot of people. But that's a responsibility on, of the no, states no, 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 and the local I, supervisors of elections. No, 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 I'm not defending. I'm trying to understand what thing in the world might provoke this. And all I'm saying is there's a lot of there's a lot of mistakes in the roles, wrong addresses, so on. But let's say there's a few mistakes. That is not in any way, shape, or form the equivalent of saying there are millions of illegal votes. It's not. Dead people, by and large. Don't vote, even if they're still on the roll. That's true. They do. Mostly they don't. They, they run those cases to the ground, and the ballot right cast an absentee but before Steve the Steve Miller went kind of on the it. air. But Steve Miller went on the air and said the following: Anybody who's worked politics in New Hampshire knows that they're bussing people in from Massachusetts, and, and, and that which and that is categorically in not only incorrect but a blatant lie right but it also starts at the head of the beast because the statement started with the president while kelly ayat who is uh shepherding the current supreme court nominee process was told yeah you would have this not happen and who pray tell said said this the president of the united states so 
And as I have been up in the world, of, I mean, I've been talking to conservative friends as well, and I've simply said, prove it. This is entirely... No, 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 but, but there's no a better way. argument here. No, no. You brought up Kelly Ayotte. Wait a minute. So let me get this straight. Who, by the way, also doesn't believe it's true. So, uh, so wait a minute. But you bring up Kelly Ayotte. No, but but you listen to this logic. 753 votes. Right. She actually, you know, that's a number that's so, small enough. There might have been that many errors. So, but, no, no, but, but hear this out, though. Right. Hear this out. You Kelly Ayotte, <laughs> Kelly Ayotte, so what you're telling me is that people were bussed in from Massachusetts to vote for Hillary Clinton and keep Kelly Ayotte in office? That logic doesn't make sense. No, no, I think you're, 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 you're flipping it. So the, 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 the theory was they were bust because Trump also nearly lost New Hampshire. We, 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 he could have but won. Kelly Ayotte narrowly won New Hampshire. No, she lost. No, she or lost. So, I mean, this was, this was actually kind of taken as well in North Carolina, the governor who lost for multiple reasons. Um, worth noting, that was a split ticket. The Democrat won and Trump won. Right. Uh, but they actually did run the, the NPR did a This American Life running this to the ground for the claims of voter fraud and the Republican state chairs that this absolutely happened. And they eventually did find cases of voter fraud for an obscure lower rate or at least accusations where there was evidence of voter fraud. But nowhere near 3 million votes. No, it was like. 25 votes for water commissioner in this ridiculous little county that why that's elected position I have no idea but nonetheless it was this handful of votes that were handwritten with the same penmanship and it was for the Republican guy of all things and so that actually got referred for further review by the Republicans on the so committee. How we are, I mean, you can't, understood, but, but let me ask this question. It's not millions. It's just no way. But let me ask yeah. this question. That's, that's the thing. We're, we're trying to understand why he, the president, would spend so much time, energy, political capital, uh, strikes at his credibility over issues like the, the, the number of votes and losing the popular vote. He won the damn election, and that's not even in dispute. Move forward, but something in his ego, in his mind. This is the Bannon. This is the Bannon part of things. That well, you have to follow the true alt right, and I followed a bit, and some of it's just unfollowable. Within that community, this is a live, hot topic, and I mean, they're pulling the Trump voters that that not only believe it? this, but believe it's understated. Yeah, but you, you, you but you also have to wait, 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 hold on, hold on. You also have, you also have to understand that your base and then playing. But you also, Dan, you also have to understand the fact that this puts, you know, people like uh, Paul Ryan. This puts people like Paul Ryan said it's not true. This puts people like uh, Mitch McConnell in an awkward, awkward position. No, no. Literally, John McCain. I mean, you share evidence. If this is true, show us the evidence for stop talking. Was I believe? Absolutely, absolutely. It it defies uh, understanding. But again, so is this entire. So did the the election process, um, the primary process, the general election, and then the outcome. And sadly, we're not yet at a place where we can. Right. So let me. I I will say this. I, I actually hope there is an investigation on it. If for no other reason is the only way democracy works is if people buy in. And whatever 20% of the population that believes this nonsense, if a Trump presidency under a Sessions Attorney General actually investigates this and says, 
we found these six cases of voter fraud that have occurred. This is it. It is not six million. It is not 600,000. It's whatever minuscule number that has always been found in every last one of these cases. These things happen. There's a handful of them. It's, not, it's nonsense. Just like the investigation of the new Black Panther voter suppression thing. It was four guys that showed up at a bullet no. case. It was run to ground. There was no there there. Right. And but in this case, they have all of the tools of power. They have both chambers of Congress. They have the administration. They can prove this if they would like to. It's not that hard. Okay. Let's now, I mean, because we've been all over the place because there's just been so much to cover since our last show. Let, let's just really quick drill down a little bit on this. Number one, is there what good things has the Trump administration done, Alan? Well, I think that didn't last great again. I, I, <laughs> I think that apart apart from the disaster of uh, of General Flynn, um, that it is basically put together a a uh, a, a pretty good foreign policy team. Will it let them do its work? Will it fix the problem at the National Security Council with a new National Security Advisor um, to replace uh, Flynn and give him the authority to do the job of coordinating and consolidating? And by the way, collecting? you heard one of the names that's being batted around is General Michael Petraeus as um, a possible replacement. Does that just bring further fuel to the fire on no, the White no, House? No, no, no legal issues there. I, None. I, I think I think that 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 a Petraeus Can Petraeus even a clearance? Oh yeah. There are waivers for the, I think I think Petraeus would, would would bring a big sigh of relief to uh, the uh, many Democrats and a lot of Republicans. Well, on and, says, yeah, yeah, but politically, he's still talking. Who cares? It's it, he doesn't have to get confirmed. Can, All he can has be to any do worse? is be in the White House and, and do his job. I'm not saying it's it's a slam dunk and that everybody's going to give it a free pass. This president doesn't get any free passes. He doesn't deserve. He 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 hasn't showed. Being that he's very deserving of them, unfortunately, there'd be plenty of, of criticism. We'd have to remind ourselves of his tawdry story. They might decide that's more than they want. But 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 they. This is a job that the president can name a person, and he can serve. Petraeus brings a lot of the skills. He may be again more more baggage. Do they need that kind of want. lightning rod? But he also worked well with Obama, which thus far in this. In this White House, that seems to not be well thought of. Unless you become the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Petraeus was looked at for a couple of, of, of high-level jobs, so I, I think that 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 he's not out of it. The current acting head of the, the National Security Council is another three-star general mm-hmm. who had served as Chief of Staff under uh, under Flynn. Um, you can have it, active it, duty, by the way, as the as the Dutch security writer, this is how Colin Powell came to prominence. Right, right, right. So, so, um, uh, and I think maybe Haig in the beginning. No, anyway, uh, was Alexander Haig? Anyway, we yeah, go too deep. I, I, yeah, I mean, I there, there, there are there are candidates out there. Steve Hadley, who had that job at the end of the the uh, the Bush administration, um, conceivably would would come and do it again. I mean, he's not one of those those 150 former for, Republican foreign policy folks who said, 
this guy's an unqualified disaster and can't be in this position. Um, and so, uh, uh, which, which, which un- unfortunately takes a lot of people out of the mix who would be well qualified, if not for a top job, for some of the middle-level yeah, jobs. If I'm the White House or if I'm Sean Spiker, I'm like, I'm not going to make real news. Please don't give me yes, a betrayal. Give somebody who's due the job that's respected and let's move on. There's so many things that are absolutely aflame. And let alone, mind you, there are actual international things going on at the moment. The <laughs> Russians supposedly bombing ISIS, but actually bombing the Syrian rebels. The the fact that both Iran and North Korea have had missile tests that from our tough guy president, we've had a remarkably tepid response. Um, and, and oh, by the way, the Russians are now firing missiles, too. Apparently, they fired a cruise uh, yeah, missile In today. violation of, of a treaty, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's, that's in violation, I think, of SARS. But I don't. I have to go back and look at it. But that's just also breaking news. But, but let me ask this question as we as we close out here. Um, the, the, the question I want to ask is: We we talked about what they've done right. Um, what is the biggest? What's the biggest danger to this administration right now? Is it the tweeting? The president. I, I mean, I mean that's that's one aspect of looking at. It. Is it is it the tweeting? Is it his lack of judgment on picking the right people for the jobs? Is it uh, the rhetoric? I mean, what is the most dangerous spot we've well, got right I, now? I, I, I think that the, the danger right now is that is that they look so inept, and he seems he looks so undisciplined and unengaged that you run the risk that even if they start getting their act together and start doing more things right that they won't get credit for it, that, that, that you do so much damage at the front end to your, to your credibility domestically and overseas right. that, that you can't recover in a timely way to make an impact legislatively like you hope to. That's, that's the big risk that that that, that I see. Dan Lipner? Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, to to recover is something that doesn't happen accidentally. I mean, you can have accidental moments in politics all the time, and there are people who find themselves in positions and then are so ill-equipped to deal with these. I mean, arguably that is this White House. It's happened in other cases that there are those momentary sparks that happen, but. In D.C., you simply cannot fake it for that long. Everyone here is good. Everyone here is smart. The fact that the White House, and this is something that was just reported, that the White House, for the executive orders, some of which are complete nonsense that are executive orders, but I may as well wish there to be Santa Claus. But so those executive orders, they have not even figured out how to put the stuff that is in the Federal Register for those executive orders accurately on the White House website. They have different drafts of the substance. And I mean, this is something that USA Today and the Washington Post just reported today. And it's just like, how can you get that wrong? Right. And not to mention, the whitehouse.gov is a credible source to reference if you want the stuff. Obviously, a lawyer is going to go to the Federal Register, but the whitehouse.gov website should also be considered a credible source. 
Well, let me, let me let me close out real quickly by saying number number one, uh, it seems that uh, the idea that we're doing this from the National Press Club is just truly really amazing. Uh, I'm, I, I can't believe that I'm actually saying that that those words are coming we out. We are evidence down. that Donald Trump has made something great again. Yeah, they, they made background <laughs> politics press club viable. But he, but here's the question: Is it, as we sit here in in the heart of the fourth estate. Uh, the, the club that a lot of its members are noted journalists from long, long days gone by. As we sit here in the National Press Club, what is the responsibility of the media? Has the media been too harsh on Donald Trump? Is it being fair? Or are they, is everybody just fighting for the next big thing to get the scoop, to get the ratings? You know, Fair is, is is always in the in the mind of the beholder. I think that the, that the press sometimes does fabulous, really important, significant work, and sometimes it completely screws it up. It's lazy. It's in a race. It's trying to beat the other guy, and and, and many mistakes are made. Lots more mistakes today than used to be made. Lots more news outlets, much lower budgets. You look at the Washington Post. Look at our budget. You look at the yeah, right. <laughs> Well, no, ours has stayed pretty stable. That's true. Uh, <laughs> Good point. Um, but, 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 um, but uh, the Washington Post used to have many more writers, many more editors. It had the luxury. It was filled with advertising. It had a lot of revenue. It was profitable. And as the as the advertising moved to the internet, the the the, the Paper had to reconstitute itself and shrink, and then new competitors popped up. But the the new competitors didn't have the same kind of editorial standards as the old mainline newspapers. So, if it, it, as as the post declines, we know that other newspapers around the country, regional papers, local papers, are declining even faster. Are are we? Are people like us, are, are, are shows like ours killing traditional journalism, Dan? Hey, we're not journalists. We, I mean, uh, well, well, occasionally we have news. And, uh, we're mostly we're commentary. We're, common, we're, we're commentary. commentary. We're commentary. And so we do have a place, and I, I, I'm comfortable saying we are more informed than most. Not all. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to put us up against the Sunday shows. Oh, come but, on. Have you seen some of the Sunday shows lately? No, I mean, I, I'm not going to say against. All of the players. There are a few. There are plenty of players that have showed up. That I have winced at the credibility of those folks. But nonetheless, um, there is a place. But of the great untold stories, and one of those phrases that isn't talked about about subsidies, the real people that that are killing traditional journalism, at least print journalism, is of all things Craigslist. Because the things that kept newspapers open wasn't the the great journalism people paying you know their quarter for their paper, it was the advertising that went along with it. And once right. the advertising began to dry up, right, everything else kind of fought driving it. But we're using it for all these good things. And now, lo and behold, people think they can get this for free. And reporters and that information. Acquiring that costs money, depending on however you turn that resources of the time, the knowledge that that takes, that takes something. So and people that those dots aren't obviously connected. The way people so let me go to the flip side. Alan Moore 
uh, is there a place for sensible commentary like ours? We don't get into the demagoguery. In fact, we try and avoid the demagoguery. Uh, once Alan in a while, we, we turn off the light. <laughs> that's true. But I mean, is, is is there a place for discussion like ours it's for boring measures, boring measures that discussion? Yeah, no, uh, only. I mean, is is there is there a place for us in this modern world? I mean, there's a place. Here's the thing. There's a place for every voice. Now, who tunes in? That's the challenge. That's the question. I mean, the 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 the, the more flamboyant, over the top, accusatory, nasty, beautiful. There are all sorts of factors that cause people to pay attention and listen. But but there there are. Thousands, you know, there are hundreds of cable TV shows, thousands of other outlets. So finding an audience is a challenge. Um, and I, I always used to be amazed that we'd get the number of hits that we'd get. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. And, Appreciate that. And, 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 and uh, no, no, it's, you know, people thinking, I, I want some more information. I want something else. I, I, I don't like the shouting matches. I don't like the glibness. Um, uh, I don't like the... The sanctimonious the, nature the, or something. The, the, the carelessness. Um, and and uh, now, we make mistakes. Other, our, when we make a mistake... We admit it. It's not very visible. And, and we will... We will I will always admit it, and you guys yeah. are less willing, but... Oh, oh, oh. That, wow. But, but we do try and do a friendly correction every time. No, no, no. Like, like today, we, you know, we were talking about, you know, we had mentioned 83. It was 86. We didn't make a big deal. Right. No, right. no, no. But, you know, the, 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 the Trump presidency, the president has, has sort of declared war on the media, not yet realizing how much what is written factually as well as the commentary, influences his success. Um, if all of the if all the voices out there talk, sharing with the, with the public what's going on dislike him and don't believe him, it doesn't help his presidency. And I think that some of these major embarrassments and screw ups, whether it's the immigration executive order and all we didn't even brought, touch on today. Uh, there, the, the Flynn disaster, the 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 one spokesman saying this, the other one saying that, spokespeople simply being nasty, and he is not. He cares about how people uh, view him and see him and wants to be respected, right. wants to be successful. But that is that's, Dan Lipner. But that's the thing that this White House might not be understanding most of all. Donald Trump has been so used to his entire career either being the star or fighting something. At this moment, he is the apex of anything on the planet, and the only thing he has to fight right now is himself. It is not him versus her. There are lots of people who... Is this a matter of Donald Trump versus the world? Well, that's, that's the problem. It can't be. When he, when you, lots of people viewed the campaign as a, as a choice between two evils: Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton is not on the playing field anymore. There is an, 
there is in the world of nonsense, there are people saying that Obama has a shadow presidency pulling the strings while he's out there with Richard Branson. He's secretly calling folks that are still good luck with that. In the executive branch. In the executive branch. But the fact of the matter is, his successor failure is now all his own. He gets to manage that, and he gets to lay himself out there, and he cannot lay it on somebody else. It is simply him. Last question. Is Twitter going to be the downfall of Donald Trump? Yes or no? No. Dan Lutner? There are so many other things that are going to destroy him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was subtle, Dan. He's that was subtle. back a little bit already. It doesn't feel like it sometimes. But, but I think he's realizing that, that, that it's he's more of a hindrance to the health. exhausted the limits of benefit and that he better have a team that reviews it. But I think we'll continue. he'll continue to use it a lot less with, with less craziness. Well, again, I, I want to say, first of all, Dan, Alan, thanks a lot for joining us here on our first foray out of the National Press Club here in the nation's capital. Uh, it's a tremendous honor to be broadcasting from here. It's a great honor to have you guys as part of the team. Uh, we are, you guys have heard about it on our Twitter feed. You've seen it on our Facebook. There is news that we're going to be able to probably at the end of this month, beginning of March, be able to go public with as far as the future of uh, backroom politics, we're still going to keep the we're still going to keep the uh, podcast going up until then. But I just got to tell you something. Just remember, I have a face for radio. That's all I'm going to say. I've got a face for radio. This was not my idea. This is people with money. So anyway, on that note, on behalf of Dan Lipner, Alan Moore, I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week. I think it's going to be remote, but we'll double-check because this is all happening so quickly. But we will be back next week, possibly from the National Press Club studios here at the corner of 14th and F in the nation's capital. But uh, stay tuned. Was follow us on our Twitter feed. You can also follow us on our Sidewire posts. We're still doing Are you still doing that, Dan? I'm on Sidewire occasionally. You're still on Sidewire occasionally. Um, and you can also follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio. We'll see you next week, America. Have a great one. This is Backroom Politics.